and welcome to another exciting episode of the Fire and Water Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Rob Kelly, and as you can tell by me doing the intro, that means Shag is not here this week, but I have a very special guest host with me. He's returning, a returning champ, Mike Gillis from Radio vs. the Martians. Mike, thanks for doing the show again. Oh, glad to be back. We are here to discuss, first of all, we're really going to talk about the Aliens franchise, and then in a greater sense, the larger topic of uh, franchises that choose to ignore certain aspects of what has come before. So I should warn you all that this episode of the Fire and Water podcast will be ignoring continuity established in some previous episodes of the podcast uh, while retaining the continuity of others. So you'll have to just decide which ones we skip over and which ones we're not. I guess we'll just jump right in. In here because the, we're we're talking about this because of the news that broke a couple of weeks ago that Neil Blomkamp, director of of course District Nine and the not so popular Chappie, uh, is doing a fifth Alien film, and he announced that not only is he doing this fifth Alien film, but it is going to be a spiritual or sort of direct sequel to the first two films, not the second two films. Uh, now he since that news broke, he's kind of walked that back a little. And said that not necessarily is he skipping the three and four, but, but for the most part, this fifth film is going to be a direct descendant of Aliens, not so much Alien Resurrection or Alien 3. So before we even get into all that, Mike, where do you stand with the Alien franchise? Oh, I love it. I think it's a really great series of horror movies. At least when I say series, I mean two movies that came mm-hmm. out, a movie Alien that came out in 79, and then I think it was like 86, 87 for Aliens. And I think maybe this should not have been a series. I think that a lot of times we have this really good one-off film that's just glorious. It's just, it's an amazing film because Alien is really an amazing horror movie. But I think what made it a series and why it's kind of, I don't know, in a weird sort of way, the antithesis to the plot point I'm making right now is that, oh my God, that sequel is amazing. And it shouldn't have been amazing. (laughs) I really, really love Aliens by James Cameron. I think it's a great movie. I think that it does all of the things that a great sequel should do, which is it touches on the same themes as the original, but it doesn't just make a carbon copy with better special effects and worse writing. And it has great writing. It knows the characters. It knows the themes. And maybe they should have just stopped at that point. And I know that that's kind of what Neil Blomkamp is talking about here is, I think we've all, as sort of nerds, decided that we draw this hard line right here, and then beyond that line, there are no other Aliens movies. We just kind of end it right there, because it is just a great place to end it. And I don't know. I guess when when I hear that they want to make more of something, I go back to the original and try to pretend, well, what was it about this stuff that I liked in the first place? Why are we talking about making more of them? And it just comes down to the fact that these are really, really good frigging movies. I... I love them. They, they have elements of a uh, slasher film. They have a lot of really cool sci-fi elements to them. And it has this really cool lived-in universe that feels like real places, which is a hard thing to pull off. I guess CGI has made a lot of people lazy in this regard because they can create a world in a computer. But, oh my god, I just rewatched the original Alien last night, and what really struck me is how real that ship felt. It didn't feel like a set that somebody had built. It felt like a place that people worked in. The relationship, the the characters felt like coworkers. It felt like I'm at work and suddenly there's a monster there and it's picking off my coworkers. (laughs) It, it feels so real and the dialogue between the characters feels naturalistic. It feels the way real dialogue does. The characters in the very first movie don't look like underwear models the way a lot of movies do that nowadays. 
I mean, there's attractive people. They don't feel like it's unrealistic for them to have these jobs. And I, I just think it's such a great film. It's genuinely scary. It has a sense of dread about it that it makes the moments in between the alien attacking just as scary as the moments when it is. And, oh, my God, the design of the aliens themselves is just incredible. I mean, everything in that alien ship that they, they find the eggs in to the point the alien itself has just this creepy, chitinous, kind of oily look to it. And that H.R. Giger stuff just, just nails it. I mean, I love these movies. Yeah, I mean, uh, like most people, I, I think the first two are masterpieces, and then the, the second two are just abysmal. And my problem most with the third one, and I, I've seen all – well, I didn't see Alien in the theaters. I was too young to see us on cable. But I've seen the other three films in the theaters, and I remember being so excited for Alien 3 because, you know, this is in – this is pre-internet. So I didn't know anything about it going in. I wasn't like a Starlog reader, so I had no inkling of what they were, where they're going with it. Uh, I don't. I might not have even known that Michael Biehn wasn't in it. I, I, you know, I don't know. But I remember in the first couple of minutes of Alien Three, and then they were like, "Oh yeah, by the way, Newton Hicks are dead." So anyway, I was like, "Wait, what?" And you know, like if you, if you, I watched Alien Three over again um, for in preparation for this. The other two movies I watched for 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 fun. But I watched Alien 3 kind of as homework. And by itself, Alien 3 I don't think is a bad movie. But it is so downbeat and it is so miserable and it is so crapping on everything that James Cameron tried to build in the second film. Because, you know, I think about despite all of the horrific events that take place in Aliens, it's ultimately a hopeful movie. It's got essentially a happy ending. You know, Ripley saves her adopted daughter. Uh, you know, d- despite all that, they make it. She conquers these things, this fear that's been, you know, de- de- trailing her, her, you know, since she ran into them in the first film. She defeats it. And then in the third film, Fincher just throws all that out. And it almost felt like he was just like, yeah, I don't want to tell that story. This is the story I want to tell. And like, well, then don't make Alien 3. Exactly. Make another movie. Make it. Make another movie with Sigourney Weaver, who's always seems to be willing to make you know, kind of be in these sci-fi genre projects. Um, don't make Don't make it Alien Three because you're just you just you know all the things the characters fought for in the second film was just erased, and it felt almost offhanded. And to me, it was I never forgave it. You know, I couldn't get I couldn't get on board with the movie at that point. And then the fourth one came along, and by that point, she's a clone. And I, I just was like, all right. You know, <laughs> I just thought, you know. So, um, yeah, I mean, the first two, I, I, the amazing thing about the, the first two films is that the first one is a completely perfect horror movie. And then the second one is a completely perfect action movie featuring, you know, at least one of the same characters. And it's, that's, that's pretty unique to have a film series where it's transcending genres and working completely on its own terms both times. I mean, that's, you know, that, it's really kind of hard to say, well, you know what? The second Guardians of the Galaxy movie is going to be a musical. Trust this. It'll work just as well. No, it's going to be around the same kind of movie that the first one was. But the Aliens film sort of managed to do that, and that seemed sort of remarkable to me. So the idea that Blomkamp is going to essentially skip three and four, I, you know, part of me is like, great. Uh, get Michael Bean. He doesn't seem to be doing a whole lot. Get him. Sure. Uh, at the same time, I almost feel like it does feel like it's cheating a little yeah. to do that. 
it'd almost be worth just doing a reboot if you're going to undo the last couple movies. Because, I mean, I've seen this happen before. It happened with the Highlander movies. Is I think, the best example of a series making a mistake and then spending the next few movies trying to bail out a sinking ship. <laughs> like, the first Highlander movie is a really good sci-fi action movie from the 1980s about a guy who's an immortal who finds out that he's a group of other immortals and that eventually they're all going to come together and fight to the death and the last one of them who doesn't get his head cut off will get a prize. And the movie ends with them cutting off the last guy's head and getting the prize. So it's done. There's no more immortals. But the movie made a ton of money, so they wanted to make a second one. So it, they just go off the rails. They make this bad decision. Go, no, 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 they're aliens, and they're part of this rebellion. <laughs> like 10 minutes into the first sequel and it's already gotten off the rails and ever since then the series has been trying to undo that decision like they've put out like at least five different cuts of the movie and every sequel has done everything it can to ignore the second one and they're trying to get back and it's like they're spending so much time trying to fix it and make it fit that they don't just tell a good movie about immortals cutting each other's heads off with swords (laughs) which is as simple as it can get and uh, it just I think you can do what Neil Blomkamp is probably going to try to do, which is to try to fix the franchise. And 99% of the time, that never works, because it's also not a good story. And I think there are exceptions to this, and they are exceptions for a reason. I think the the same thing with a sequel exception, especially because it was a, with Aliens, it was a sequel with a different creator. So it really had the cards stacked against it going in, that the second creator who wasn't the original guy who was going to come in and do this movie. It's going to be in a different genre, and it worked. But most of the time, it doesn't. I think the only movie that I can think of that has successfully righted a franchise that was in this position where it had gone off the rails, it didn't have the tone, it had, you know, actors were aging and didn't want to come back for sequels or weren't interested in it, it had ruined it with a bad sequel. In this case, it was X-Men, because X-Men 3 was terrible. Yeah, yeah. And a big part of the reason that they went into the Wolverine movies was they just didn't want to deal with the X-Men universe. They just wanted to pluck this one popular character out of it and just tell stories with him. And even that movie was really, really bad. X-Men Origins Wolverine is not well thought of, but they managed to fix it. I really think with Days of Future Past, which was a time travel movie that actually made fixing the universe part of the plot. And they managed to do it without it being Mm -hmm. convoluted, without it being confusing. And telling a good story at the same time. And I don't want to get my hopes up because I know what an exception that is. And right. I wonder, I don't think that Neil Blomkamp can do that. I really, really love District 9 a lot. But I think his other movies have been real disappointments. And I wonder if it's like a one-hit wonder thing. Kind of like with M. Night Shyamalan again. And mm-hmm. I like the movies that he's trying to make. But he typically doesn't make the movies he's trying to make. He makes the movies that he makes. <laughs> it was an unfortunate bit of timing that the Aliens news came out right when Chappie came out, and Chappie has really been savaged by critics. So all of a sudden, all the enthusiasm people had for the Aliens idea was like, oh, the guy that made Chappie? Really? You know, like if if they had either put it out a couple of months before Chappie or a couple of months later, but it, it literally like piggybacked right on the release of his new film, and you're like, this is the guy they're handing the Aliens franchise to? But at the same time, it's not like the Aliens franchise was doing, they were doing anything with it. I mean, there's the game, the new game that's out, or is coming out. I'm not sure. I don't, I'm not a gamer, so I don't know oh, if it's, it's even out yet. Oh, it's out now. Okay. I mean, that's kind of renewing interest. But before the game, uh, aside from those horrendous Aliens versus Predators movies, which <laughs> no one cares is being are being ignored, 
the, the the franchise was dormant for 20 years, so it wasn't like anybody was doing much with it. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it. it I, I almost wish that in, if he does decide to ignore three and four, he they make some sort of nod to them and say, "Oh, yeah, those were dreams or just parallel universes." But that's not what really. Like, almost kind of winking to the audience. Look, we're acknowledging those stories, quote unquote, happened, but that's not the timeline we're following. Mm-hmm. Or something, just because it just again, it feels like a cheat to me to just say those films just didn't happen. Well, they did. You know, you have to. You know, come on, yeah, guys. You know, I mean, at some level, they they did. I mean, they. It wasn't like these films were made with. You know, Sigourney Weaver participated in all of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it wasn't like they were made with completely different casts, and you could just say, well, that was completely. You know, other people taking control. Sigourney Weaver had presumably the clout to make or not make those movies, and she made all four. And, you know, come on, Sigourney, you know, you bear some responsibility for those films. Um, at the same time, it's like, I do love, I think Aliens is such a perfect movie. Oh, yeah. Literally a perfect movie that uh, I, I I can't get over my fanboy love of it to say I wouldn't want to see it again. Wouldn't want to see Michael Biehn again. I know we're not going to see, uh, what's her name, who played Newt, Um I don't know that actually Carrie Hen, I think mm-hmm. is the actress's name, because she's just not a movie. She just is not in movies. Oh yeah, and I, she, I think the thing that we kind of have to approach is the same thing we do whenever there's a movie that comes out that takes place in a universe we really love, which is we need to just bottom out our expectations because it almost never meets the love we have of these prior films. I mean. It's almost unfair to compare it to those ones because those movies are so good and it makes me wonder why we even need a franchise in the first place. I mean, cause we can always revisit those older movies, but I don't think that we would have lost anything as a culture if they just let Jaws be one movie. <laughs> we, we really don't need Jaws 3D and Jaws the Revenge. I mean, these things just got terrible and in a lot of ways they kind of cheapened the prestige of the first one. So, I mean, as much as I loved it, and I'm talking to somebody who is a huge Planet of the Apes fan. I love that movie to death. <laughs> and I even love the sequels to it a lot. And Me too. Me too. Most of them don't even hold a candle to the original. And, no. and I know that, you know, I, as much as I love it, maybe it shouldn't have been a series, even though I love that series, flaws and all. But not everything needs to be a franchise, I think. And I think that there's kind of this weird cultural need we have now to create the next big franchise or just revive the last big franchise. And sometimes with remakes, we get it. And I think the planet of the apes remakes they're doing right now are really good because instead of just either doing a sequel or trying to revive an old series, they're completely cutting out the plot, except for the very core premise of it. The idea of, you know, it's different sorts of people trying to live, in peace with each other, given the fact that people can't even live in peace with each other. I mean, the people people versus people and apes. And the question of whether humanity can survive, given our own self-destructive nature in many ways. And that's what that series is about. And they managed to tell that story again by throwing out all the, but like one or two character names and the basic premise is basically gone, but just re-exploring that idea just down to that basic DNA level. And I think they did the same thing with the new Battlestar Galactica, which yeah. is instead of just making a new uh, space opera series, they said, okay, it's." I know you talked about this when you were talking about Star Wars Episode One that there's two kinds of ways that something can be bad. It's bad at the concept level or it's bad in the execution. 
Yeah, yeah. The original Battlestar Galactica had a great concept. The idea of these robots that we built turn on us and wipe us out except for this small band of people who escape. So this is a TV show about people escaping genocide, yet it's a fun, wacky space romp. <laughs> With a space dog, space robot space dog. Exactly. That's not the right tone for it. I mean, for that premise, this is a great premise. So instead of remaking something we all loved, it remade something that most people didn't remember and said, okay, let's do it again, but make it good this time. Maybe that's the way to do this. Maybe instead of remaking stuff that we absolutely love and have a lot kind of emotionally riding on, why not take something that just didn't work out but had a great premise and make it work? Yeah, I mean, there's something to that. I mean, to kind of bring it back to Aliens a little, I mean, I think about the end of Aliens, and I think, and you know, about doing a fifth film, and I say, well, what, what story is there to tell about Ripley at this point because she's the whole the arc of her character in this in the first film to the second film is she meets in the first film she meets the her and the crew meet this thing that they're unprepared for uh I mean basically the alien movies the first two at least are space westerns I mean they are just essentially the dangers on the new frontier the things that are waiting for us that we as humans are not ready for because we're exploring but we're not ready to explore. I mean, it, it, you know, it's, it's presumably the same thing about when, you know, the people moved west in the 1800s and started running across things that we never thought we would run across because we just simply weren't prepared for them. And so I think about how, the, the you know, in the second film, Ripley conquers that fear, stares it down, and reclaims the thing she lost, which is her daughter, uh, in the, uh, who dies because Ripley was in hypersleep for so long, she reclaims that with saving Newt. And I think, well, there's no, there's no another story exactly. to her. That character's over. And then part of the thing that, another reason that I think Aliens 3 went wrong with, and Aliens 4 went wrong with, and Prometheus went wrong with, oh. is that, <laughs> is I wanted to get that in, is, is it starts adding mythic tones to a story that it can't that can't support that yeah uh i mean aliens three turns ripley into this christ figure and it's like that's not what she is that's not what these stories are this is just about someone who is went out to do a job because the first one you mentioned about how the ship feels lived in and feels like these are co-workers these are just people that work yeah these are just these are space miners and they're regular people, some of them even more regular than others. And they're just – they're as blasé about working in space as you or I would be about working in an office park. I mean it's just it, – it, to them it's not a big deal that they're floating in space. They're bored with their jobs. They make uh, inappropriate comments to their coworkers and things like that. And they, they just, just want to go have home. A robot and, on board. Yeah, and, and several of them are complaining about their pay. And yeah, there's like right, a long yeah. argument about them forfeiting their checks if they refuse to do this job. And they're like, oh, okay, I'll right. go deal with this thing. Right. The corporation that they work for is screwing them. You know, twas ever thus. So, I mean, it's like huh. it, it, that's that's the – I always thought that the, one of the things I liked about the first two films is that they are so sort of grounded in what we recognize. I mean, one of the things that James Cameron wanted to do in the second film is he said that like – and he said in space movies to that point, everybody had a uniform. Everybody's wearing uniforms. 
and he wanted to get people wearing regular clothes, mm. you know, and that's something he did. The people, I mean, yeah, the, the space Marines are kind of wearing the same outfit, but they're, they're, they're customized. They have different things written on there because they look like regular Marines. And so these are regular people. And then in, by the time you get to the third, fourth and quote unquote fifth films, it, it's all laid with all this symbolism and all this stuff. And it just like these, I, this poor little xenomorph with his giant penis head, he can't, oh. he can't, he can't, well, come on. It is, <laughs> it is. H.R. Giger, come Yeah, on. That, that's a, pretty much all he painted. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, the guy made a living off of making giant, Scary, you know, black, pe- oily penises with teeth. That's yeah. kind of what he does. <laughs> I mean, hey, man, more power to him. He managed to make him build a career off of making that bad painting. Good for him. Um, but it's, you know, and that was the thing where Prometheus went wrong. Yeah. Where making the making the xenomorphs, like, I guess the repository of all the evil in the universe or oh, something. That's the exact opposite. And, oh, no. And I was like, what is this? What is he talking about? And my theory behind Prometheus as to where, why that whole thing was at the end where it's revealed that it's a xenomorph. I always felt like Ridley Scott is in his – I think he's in his 80s now. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's late 70s. And he's become a prestigious director. You know, he's Oscar winning. And I think he probably thinks he's above making a simple genre movie anymore. So it has to be layered – it has to be larded up with all of the significance, capital S – and so the xenomorphs become again it'll get laden with all of this all of this stuff and to me it's like that it can't support that no it, it can't support this concept that you're trying to graft onto it i think it's the same thing that happened with the die hard movies too is there's only so many times a regular person can get caught in irregular situations before this just becomes what their life is because <laughs> john mcclain is this regular guy who gets caught in a hostage situation and he get, becomes an action hero and the the whole point of the second movie was like, how could the same shit happen to the same guy twice? And they make a joke out of it. But after it happens the third, fourth, and I hear now fifth time, he's just an action hero. He's not a regular guy anymore. Right, yeah. He's become an action hero. I think the same thing is dangerous about having it happen to Ripley is that Ripley is a regular person. And also, like you said about making the xenomorphs evil, they never really are. They're just a thing. And it's a thing that acts on instinct. It's kind of like on Walking Dead. The the real monsters on Walking Dead and in Alien are not the monsters. The monsters are acting on instinct. They're they're not acting out of spite. They're not jealous. They're not cruel. They're just doing the thing that biologically they are built to do. And they don't screw each other over for a percentage. Exactly. As, uh, <laughs> as Ripley says. And you look at who are the bad guys in Alien and in Walking Dead. They're other people. The company yep. is the bad guy in Alien. The company that outright sends people to die so that it can get an, a specimen and it outright the the ian holm uh ash i think his name is yep. the robot his job is say who cares if people die just bring the specimen back down to earth so we can make money off turning it into a weapon it doesn't matter these people that are basically you know scrounging in rocks in space who are just you know these are blue collar people this is not like sending in rambo or something who also gets turned into a superhero over the course of those movies yep. that he was a damaged person who ends up turning into like this biggest badass in the universe so instead of just being it feels horrible that this poor damaged man is being used this way and look at the things he's forced to do versus wow that guy's body count has a comma in it that guy is badass <laughs> so i think that's the danger is instead of it becoming real people screwed over by a corporation that's pushing them into these situations and that's the same thing when the second movie 
why is that that group of colonists put there next to that ship that's full of eggs? Because the, the corporation, Weyland Utani, which is the worst place a fictional character can work in any genre, <laughs> wanted to just set them up near those eggs just to see what would happen. Yeah. That those people were cannon fodder. Those people were lab rats. So, you know, so characters like Ash are in the second movie, Paul Reiser. Those are the real bad guys in these movies who are sending human beings out to become meat just because they're, you know, I got a paycheck. I got to let people die. And, hey, we can make some money off this. Let's push some humans at it and see what happens. <laughs> it's, I mean, those are the real monsters. I have no idea why Paul Reiser never played a bad guy again after Alien. He's so good in that movie. <laughs> you wa- you so want to stab him in the face. He's just such a good villain. <laughs> it was a bad call, Ripley. It was a bad call. <laughs> just, especially that moment where everyone's in danger. He just runs out the back door and locks yeah. it behind him. Yep. And you're just like, yeah. what an asshole. <laughs> I love that. It's such a good movie. I, I, I mean, it really nails it. Every performance in that movie is great. I love Bill Paxton in Aliens. Everybody loves, yeah. Oh, Lord. That he's uh, yeah. like the uber macho guy who's just got the skull and crossbones painted on his chest, chest piece is the first guy that breaks. He's, oh, game over, man. Game over. Yeah. What are we going to do now? Yeah. <laughs> I, I love it. I love that so much because he's the guy swaggering around in front of Ripley. Like, oh, don't worry, Ripley. We're the biggest badasses in the universe. No one can hurt you as long as we're around. And then they just turn into mulch. Um, and it kind of follows the typical horror movie uh, thing where the bigger badass you are on paper, the quicker you turn into meat. That, you know, a child will survive this monster. But if you're the guy with the biggest gun, you're the first guy who's going to get killed and killed in a really horrible way. Yep. I And I I love that about these sort of movies, too, is it's sort of, you know, what gets you alive is being smart, being clever, being able to think on your feet. I mean, that's why Ripley survives that and the fact that she's the only person on the Nostromo that values good quarantine procedure. Like, those rules <laughs> exist for a reason. They keep that's us safe. Right. And that's right. It's like she's the one person who says, hey, maybe we don't want to bring infected person on the ship. And that was the big mistake in Prometheus is they made the good guy the person who wanted to bring infected boyfriend back on the plane. And I'm like, why am I supposed to hate Charlize Theron when she's the only person who's acting appropriate for the movie she's in? Where she gets out with a flamethrower and says, you're not bringing your infected boyfriend back on the ship. And the lead actor's like, well, if he's not coming back on the ship, I'm not. And she's like, then stay. <laughs> and it's like, why am I supposed to hate her? She's the hero of the movie. No, I can't remember the last time I saw a movie that like Prometheus where I enjoyed the heck out of watching it. I thought it was highly entertaining, you know, certainly visually captivating and thoroughly engaging, but also incredibly stupid. Oh, yeah. You know, like just one of those movies where I'm like, boy, I enjoyed the heck out of that, but it's a terrible movie. <laughs> It was it was a frustrating experience for me because I love the first two movies so much. And I was like, hey, they're going to finally do something about that weird elephant man alien that's sitting in the gun chair. And we're going to finally find out that story. And I guess what I learned out of this is maybe I don't need to know those answers. Because yeah. it's just going to disappoint me. And, oh, my God, I, I think the reason that I get so angry at Prometheus and why it frustrates me so much is most bad movies I just let go of. I just like, oh, that was terrible. And I don't remember it a year from then. But Prometheus, all I can do is brainstorm ways to try to fix it. (laughs) I'm like, I can see the heart of a really good movie in it, but it feels like there's like about five rewrites that go into it. Just cut out the alien xenomorph stuff completely. It's basically a movie about humanity finding their creator and their creator going, yeah, you're a mistake, I want to kill you. 
and how terrifying that would be. And I guess the plot I sort of have, because the android character who just starts popping things in people's drink and acting like a supervillain, because of course he's Magneto after all, but yes. his motivations make no sense. And people learn things through like revelation. This must be a military facility. It's like, well, based on what? <laughs> Did the plot gods tell you? It, it, like, it doesn't make sense. And I, I look at it and I go, well, you know, there's a lot of really cool visual ways you could have told that story. Like, find a room full of weapons, find a bunch of weird proto-humans floating in, like, back-to-tank jars. Oh, man, because the basic premise there that to fix it is kind of good. You're like, hey, okay, the basic plot of humanity finding out that we're a failed uh, tool or something, and that we're a mistake in some way and our creator wants to flush us, and then having the robot go, oh, wait a minute here, is that... Is that me? And then having him turn on the humans because of that revelation that he might get junked someday and that he's just a thing to be used. And, I mean, there's a great plot idea because there's a parallel nature to these these stories. And the movie doesn't do it. And it just, it's it's like it's like having a wound on the inside of your cheek and you just keep touching it with your tongue. And it's just like, <laughs> you can't stop. I want to fix this movie. But I know I just have to just let it go. Oh, my God. And... I think this is my problem with, um, oh God, what's his name? Uh, he worked on Lost, Damon Lindelof, mm -hmm. is that he likes to have big surprise things and sort of kick you down the road a little bit, not get the reveal to this question. And I guess it works better on television, but when you promise answers in your movie and then you basically say, sorry, Mario, your plot is in another sequel. Oh, it just gets, it gets frustrating because it feels like, why is it that she gets in a plane and thinks that she can go to a whole planet full of these people who, when she met the first time, the first minute it woke up and saw it human, it tried to kill it? Why does she think she's going to not get shot down the second they see her? <laughs> uh, why? It's going to work out better this time because reasons? I don't know. It, I, I promise people I'm really not this negative most of the time. It's funny you mentioned about like just dropping a movie out of your memory, and I've been able to do that too. The only movie that I've ever like you have tried to fix mentally is um and this is getting a little off topic but just because it, it occurred to me when you said it is star trek generations oh where i'm like that had there was such a great potential and i felt it was so botched that i was like i mentally fixed that movie in my head like, you know, i have my own version of star trek generations and it was funny that when i saw the jj abrams reboot and i assume you've you've seen that oh yeah right and when when james kirk's father dies the way he dies in the opening moments of, of Star Trek, of Star Trek, the JJ. I'm like, that's how Kirk should have died. Yeah. Why didn't they just do that? And so I wrote this whole scene in my head of like, you know, Kirk and Picard are the last two on the Enterprise. And for some reason, the only way to like save the day is to, to self-destruct the Enterprise into the heart of the ribbon. And Picard is like, I'm going down with my ship. And Kirk is like, the hell you are. And gives him that Kirk karate chop. Yes. You know, that's how you do Picard it. out transports him off the bridge and the last thing that kirk does is sitting there in the chair on the bridge and the, the crap is flying and at the last moment just before the ship explodes you see him smile yes and boom the enterprise explodes kirk saves the universe and he dies the way he's supposed to die he doesn't die because he falls because he's too fat yeah you know that my favorite part about that movie is is that when picard gets thrown into what do they call it? it's not the matrix 
It's the nexus, which is another word. That yeah, the kind of, ribbon, the nexus, the ribbon, yeah. the nexus ribbon. It's yeah. a word that means a thing that I don't understand, but we use it kind of like it's hacking into the mainframe. I don't know what that <laughs> means, but it sounds important. But uh, he goes into the nexus. Picard goes in there, and after he kind of debunks the whole fake Christmas thing that they're giving him and finds out that he's in an imaginary world, he meets up with Guinan. And his first thing is, Guinan, you've got to come with me. We're going to fight this villain. And my first thought is how it's awesome that Picard's first choice to go fight Malcolm McDowell is to bring Whoopi Goldberg around with him. And what I love is just the <laughs> visual of him and Whoopi Goldberg battling Malcolm McDowell and how much that would have been a better movie if it had led to a Whoopi Goldberg-Malcolm McDowell fist fight. <laughs> I would have watched the hell out of that movie. But, I, yeah, Kirk is his second choice. He's like, well, no, I, I can't come along, but I know somebody who can. And that's the other thing, too, is I know this is special effects and we can't do it, but why would Kirk, and this is like another part about, again, getting his death scene right, is getting the character right. If you're creating a world that's a fantasy for Captain Kirk, it's not going to be him chopping wood and living a domestic life, because Captain Kirk just doesn't do that kind of life. He would be basically his 30-year-old self commanding the Enterprise because that's all he wants to do. I mean, the whole point of several movies, like especially the first one, is how he just doesn't want that life. He just wants to be the captain of the Enterprise. That's all he wants. Uh, you'd think that, that at the very least, his fantasy world would be him battling Klingons alongside his friends, and that would be a cool place to drop in cameos from the original cast. But oh, oh that's a great idea. I never even thought of that, but you're right. That would have been really neat. It's not going to be him riding horses and talking about getting married. It's like Captain yeah. Kirk would not create the version of his life that's his fantasy life. That's 60-year-old him ready to settle down. It's, yeah. it's not that's not him. He's the opposite <laughs> of that. And his death has to be exactly the one that you talked about because that's how he wants to die. Yeah. He's basically a friggin' Klingon in a lot of ways. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I said that's the only. That's literally the only movie that I've ever done that for. Every other movie that I thought was bad, I just kind of went, "All right, they screwed it up. I'll just let it go." I mean, I I have not thought about like the fourth Aliens film other than the cage. You know, I really I saw it the one time and I just said this was that was terrible. Yeah, and I just, just never thought about it again. I don't think I've ever even rewatched it. I think I think maybe I tried at some point because I was on a like, oh, let me watch all four Aliens movies and. I think I, I don't know, I like I just grayed out during, I was just like, I went on a rider, I don't, whatever, I did, this is, and you know, it's interesting, um, I read an article related to this thing with about the Aliens franchise, I think it was on the Onion AV Club, and they were talking about how it's a curious thing when you think about how fans can be about a certain franchise, and that, you know, here's a film franchise that's four films, and yet the so-called diehard fans hate 50% of it. Yeah. And at what point does the percentage where the fans hate more of it than, than more than half of it, do you get to call yourself a fan? I mean, are you a fan of something if you hate most of it? That's a good question. Uh, you know, and, and this occurred to me last year because uh, a, a theater here, I really did it across the country. They had the Indiana Jones, uh, an Indiana Jones um, marathon where they showed all four films, you know, in one sitting. And me and some friends went to it. And I'm sitting there and I'm watching, I watch Raiders, I watch Temple of Doom, and I watched West Crusade and then Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. And as I'm watching them, it, it, I had this horrible thing occur to me that I said, you know what? Temple of Doom is not a good movie. I really don't. West Crusade is not bad. Crystal Skull is terrible. I never liked the TV show. I never really read any of the books. 
and I hardly read any of the comics. Am I really an Indiana Jones fan? Or am I just a Raiders fan? I'm like, I really think I might just be a Raiders of the Lost Ark fan because in every other iteration, I have not liked Indiana Jones. And it's like, at at what point can I say I'm an indie fan if I hate nine-tenths of it? Yeah, I think that's a good question. And I think that it kind of, for me, uh, it gets into, I think it will be a companion piece to what Shag always talks about with that finding your joy. I think that the companion to that is the concept of stop hitting yourself. (laughs) Is don't try to convince yourself that you like something. Whenever I hear a fan, especially a fellow nerd, talk about how I need to try something, if I can hear a tone in their voice, and this is what I listen for, where it sounds like they're trying to convince themselves that it's good, they're like, well, you got to try this TV show, but you know, it's not really great for the first few episodes, and you have to do this, blah, blah, blah. And it sounds like they're trying to convince themselves, not me, to check it out. Then I'm like, yeah, I'm probably going to skip it. And I I had to actually do this as a New Year's resolution for last year, and I decided to renew it, which is I'm not going to spend money and time because I'm going to be dead someday. I'm I'm not going to be around. So I have this precious time left, and I want to spend some of it being unhappy on purpose. (laughs) I'm going to go to a movie that I know in advance I'm not going to like just so that I can be accurate in my complaints about it. And if that's the case, <laughs> I have so much better ways to spend $10. And if we want to do our, our in-stock trades ad, there are a lot of great things I can buy for $10 on that website <laughs> that will make me actually happy and make me so happy that I'll want to convince other people to try it. You know, I'm not going to waste my time seeing something I know is going to be bad. I, I mean, I've done so much of that out of a sense of completion or brand loyalty over the years. It's like, it doesn't matter who your favorite character is or what your favorite franchise is. There are parts of it that are terrible that even a hardcore fan doesn't want to watch. There are people who absolutely love all three Indiana Jones movies, and I say that with specifically, who hate the fourth one. And they just don't watch it. It's not part of their own personal canon. And I think we have to be comfortable just going, yeah, I'm just going to make this my my version of it. And if you're just a Raiders fan, then by God, just watch Raiders if it makes you happy. I think I I finally – that's just what I do. (laughs) Just watch Raiders. I don't bother with the rest of the films because, yeah, it it, it was a weird – Realization, because I sort of always just told myself, "Oh, I'm a huge Indiana Jones fan," and then I thought about it, like, I don't know that I am. I, I, you know, I mean, how many times can they do indie where I don't like it? Where I say it really is just the movie. It's just the first movie that I love, and that that's it. I mean, I don't think the rest of them are are bad or whatever they have their own things, but uh, yeah, and it, it is kind of like that. That and and you know, you think about it in this article I mentioned, they talk about Star Wars, and they said, you know, Star Wars fans hate the prequels and they're at times iffy on Jedi. And so they say, well, then you, so you're saying that out of the six films, you really only really like two of them. Can you really, I mean, how much of a Star Wars fan are you? That's a good if question. you only like two out of the six films that exist. And I thought that's a, that's a completely fair criticism to lob at people. You, you can actually say eight. If you count the two Ewok movies, I actually like oh, Lord. the second Ewok movie where Wilford Brimley gets into a sword fight with an orc. I like that better than episode one. Because it has Wilfred Brimley get into a sword fight with an orc. And they're fighting over what's essentially a car battery. It's kind of like the Care Bears meets Lord of the Rings. It even has giant spiders and witches in it. And, oh, it's great. It's terrible, but at least it's fun. It's like, I know that people, you guys did a whole thing about the Star Wars Holiday Special. The Star Wars Holiday Special is bad on paper, but it is just a slog, and it's boring, and it's slow. Yeah. Yep, yep. I uh, there's thing there's kind of that weird difference between so get it so bad it's good and then just genuinely bad. 
I think this, I, I can't watch Star Wars Episode One, but I could probably watch Ewoks Battle for Endor a ton of times. It's, <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to have to go terrible. back and watch those. It's a terrible I, I, movie, but, oh man. I watched them at the time because they were Star Wars. You know, I was still like, it's Star Wars, but I've never seen them since. And that was almost 30 years ago. So I should probably try and watch them again just for curiosity. But yeah, just kind of picking out of our own sort of personal canon and the stuff we like and the stuff we don't like. I actually saw, um, I don't know, it was like a column for, it was either a nerd website or it was something like that where the, the person was a librarian. And they said that they had a person who had never seen Star Wars before wanted to rent and check out from the library Empire Strikes Back. And they were asking whether they should have tried to convince the person to watch the original Star Wars first. And there actually was this real back and forth, even among different people on the site, about whether you should, no, no, don't rent this, see this first. And I've kind of come to the point of view of... You know what? I can't expect other people to like stuff as much as me. So I'd say, yes, watch Empire Strikes Back first. And if you like it, then try the original Star Wars. Because you're trying out the best thing first. And there's really nothing in that movie that you won't, you know, misunderstand. Because you haven't seen the original. It's all pretty much explained. I mean, just through cultural osmosis, you kind of already know who these characters are. And they play them so iconically that it's kind of hard to miss it. So I'd say, yeah, yeah watch that it's, one. It's not, it's not Dune or anything where you need a handbook to figure out oh, what's God. going on. Even Dune the book has a glossary in the back explaining things for you. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's so weird because I'd just say, yeah, watch the best one. Because if you watch the original and don't like it that much, you won't even try that other one. So I'd say, yeah, try the best thing first. And, you know, if you like it, and I think all of us became comic book fans the same sort of way, that my first comic book that I bought regularly was X-Factor number 39, and it was in the middle of some massive event, I think it was Inferno, and I eventually caught up with it. So if it's something that I'm really into, I will make the effort of, of catching up on it. But if I don't like it, I'm not going to be willing to go back and do a bunch of homework, and sometimes it's best to start with the good stuff, and... I don't know. I mean, comics are just a nightmare in a lot of ways for for being this huge elaborate mess. And I wouldn't even touch an X-Men book nowadays. But I think, you know, in the end, it just comes down to just read the stuff you like. Don't try to force yourself to like things. And I think, for me, there are two Aliens movies. I actually used to work at a um, at a Barnes & Noble in the video department. And I actually ended up having a 10-minute conversation with author Terry Brooks, who was kind of a semi-regular at the store. Hmm. And we were just desperately trying to find a box set of just the first two Alien movies for him. Because we both agreed after a 10-minute conversation that three and four were just terrible. And I don't even want them in my collection. I want to just see the box set and pretend there's just two. (laughs) And I think that's fine. If Raiders of the Lost Ark is just the one movie in the series you want to watch then just pretend the others don't exist. I happen to actually really like Temple of Doom because it almost feels like a 1960s, uh, what are they called, exploitation film with cults trying to kill people. <laughs> it has a little bit of that, and it feels a little bit like those old movie serials that they're based on with, you know, some a massive elaborate statue and some guy's about to get, you know, just sacrificed, and then they see the people spying on them, and the guy in the big robe with the crazy skull hat goes... Intruders seize them! <laughs> I, I don't get tired of that sort of stuff. See, now I would watch your version of it. Uh, that sounds, <laughs> that sounds very good. Oh, if you want to get on my good size, have a good seize them moment in a movie. <laughs> seize them is one of my favorite things. You fools are getting away! <laughs> I, I love that stuff. Guy with a cape, maybe a funny hat. Oh, 
I'm I'm in heaven. It can even be pretty we bad. We found your bliss, Mike. We oh, found your bliss. God, there are so that in in closing spiked wall traps. That stuff just makes That's me happy. That's a good one. I do like that. I do like. I, I enjoy that. Oh God. So there's certain things that if certain things are in it, I can forgive a lot. But yeah, spiked wall traps and and bad guys who sort of have purple pros. Oh my God. Speaking of purple pros, I am so glad that Doctor Doom still talks like that. I wish <laughs> I wish more bad guys did. Oh, but yeah, I guess you just, just pick the parts of the movies you like. Don't, don't force yourself out of a sense of brand loyalty to, to need to have a complete collection of stuff you don't like. I mean, what's the point of that? Just do the stuff that makes you happy and don't hit yourself. Just stop hitting yourself. (laughs) It is good advice. I mean, overall, it is good advice. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it said we're going back a little bit in terms of the, the skipping installments. I mean, it's it's one thing for fans to do it. They said, you know, should as a creator, you you do it. I mean, when I think back, the other film that that the Alien Five is being compared to is Superman Returns. Oh yeah, which is the last film to do that to purposely say we are skipping a couple of films. This the this film is a sequel to Superman One and Two, not Three and Four. Forget it. And so, you know, on the one hand, I'm sure Fox would not want that film constantly being brought up as a comparison point because, you know, Superman Returns, unfortunately, has sort of become the poster boy for, like, failure, which I don't think is fair at all. I actually think that's a vastly underrated movie. Um, But I also remembered thinking it is a little bit of a cheat to say we're going to – this these are the characters from some of the movies but not all of the movies. Uh, at the same time, I don't – does the world and, and anywhere need a reference to Richard Pryor and Superman meeting? No, it does not. Oh. So – I kind of love that movie, I have to admit. Oh, my. Come it's, on. He's skiing on top of a building. That That's a kind of ludicrous stuff that Silver Age Superman is built on. Plus, there's oh, the, no way the cops wouldn't shut that thing down, but it's amazing. Plus, that whole – he's playing Superman in a video game, then he fights himself in the junkyard. Oh that my, is good. I will admit, that, that part is good. The little kid in that, like, say it ain't so Superman moment, Superman in the bar flicking peanuts. Oh, I love it. It's so, it's so bad. I mean, that's the sort of bad movie I like versus, say, like, Man of Steel, which is just this complete pretentious, violent train wreck that's trying to prove to bullies that don't exist that Superman's not lame. Where a lot more people are like, hey, holy craps, <laughs> Superman is using kryptonite with tar and it made him split into two. Who cares? It's not like we're looking for hard science with Superman anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I get what you mean. The idea of just saying, oh, we're just going to have this secret alternate dimension, kind of like the Biff Tannen version of 1985. We're just going <laughs> to split off from there and have our own sequels. Because, we're, you know, there was nothing in that where you'd absolutely needed to ignore those other movies. And I think they were really handcuffed by being part of another franchise anyways. I want to see yeah. Kevin yeah. Spacey's Lex Luthor. I don't want to see Kevin Spacey doing Gene Hackman doing Lex Luthor. And it feels kind of like we're robbed of that. And just because the movie fails, we don't get to see what a Kevin Spacey Lex Luthor could be. And they're not going to give him the chance. It's kind of like, you know, Josh Brolin is a great Jonah Hex. I'd like to see him in a good Jonah Hex movie. Yes. Yeah. Or, you know, uh, Jason Momoa is a great Conan. What if he was in a good Conan movie? You know? Yeah, that's yeah, that's true. It's that's like we're, true. we're not willing to give people a, a good shot. Actually, I do like Henry Cavill as Superman, but I want to see him in a good Superman movie. You know, I... I, I have no problem with uh, what was the name uh, Brandon Routh either. I thought Brandon was, Routh. I, I like Brandon Routh. Quite I do a too. Bit. I thought he was good. I just there are parts of Superman Returns I really really like, and I know we've both talked about this before, but the rescue scene is one of my favorite things in that movie. 
Yeah. It's I want to take that out with a scalpel and put it into a new Superman movie. Cause yeah, to me it is the to me it is the single best superhero action sequence ever put to film. It's great. better better than anything any other DC Marvel movies ever put together. That that one sequence and it just completely nails it. It also ends with people applauding Superman. Which if you want to get under my like grumpy, angry, cynical skin and get to that little part of my brain that was six years old and who absolutely loved this stuff. That's how you do it. It's it's just there's an unbridled optimism that I see it a lot in the Captain America movies. Those are my current favorite superhero movies happening today because they're not ashamed of what they are. They're not ashamed to be optimistic and decent. And even in uh, Winter Soldier, which is about putting a good guy into a gray world and actually having him make a dent in it, that you see the way that interacting with him changes both Nick Fury and Black Widow, where they're much more cynical than him, and they really kind of see what a great guy he is over the course of it, because he refuses to let that gray world make him gray. And I guess you could do that with Superman. I don't know why they're so afraid of optimism. Why does everyone have to have, like, daddy issues? Can't can't we just be a good guy? Because, you know, it's awesome to be a good guy. I want to be the guy who protects people. When we were, like, six years old, it was all about, I get to be the person who protects people, and then they'll applaud me, and it'll be really cool. And I'm like, I turn down your, your award and your money because it's not about that. And <laughs> I, I love that sort of stuff. That's what I really loved in that first arc on uh, Aquaman that Jeff Johns did. That little moment with the kid at the end where the kid tells Aquaman that he's his favorite superhero. Right, right. I want more of that in my superhero movies. I want more interactions with regular people protecting them and just going, you know, it's pretty cool that we have the character like Aquaman or Captain America or Superman around. Because that would have that was a really dangerous situation and it was a cool thing they showed up. And I mean, it's a little cheesy, but you know what? I love cheese. I I love it and we shouldn't be ashamed of it because superheroes are inherently silly and we should just own it. This is a world with, you know, magicians and talking chimp detectives and space cabbies and it's awesome. I love it. I love every little bit of it. And instead of running from it, we should just embrace it and and I think that audience have, with their love of talking space raccoons, have shown that they'd embrace it too. So I'm making a list here of the things that you want to see in a movie. So we've got seize them. Yes. We've got the spiked wall traps and the hero getting applauded. So yeah. at least so those three things, oh, you're on board. I, I have so many of these. There's a list of cliches that I never get sick of. Um, some of them don't fit all in the same movie because it would make a really disturbing movie. Like uh, Murderous Hillbillies as Villains. Um, I also, all, right, so, all right, okay, sure. That, yeah. That's more fit for like a Jonah Hex movie. I'm a big fan of uh, movies where there's a gang and the leader of the gang is their mom. <laughs> I, well, like, that's, that's very specific. Yeah, it's like, you know, in The Goonies. Um, I know Casey and I have talked about this recently. The Goonies did that. The um, the Futurama has Ma's robot factory. They've got that sort of game. Oh, right, right. The Slurm factory. Uh, the Beagle Boys on DuckTales had it, too. So th- <laughs> there's a bunch of these. The idea that it's your mom smacking you around, and they're always a bunch of dumbos. Maybe there's one smart son, but it's just, ah, oh, I love the idea of a bunch of criminals just being a family. It's just, it's kind of heartwarming in a horrible kind of way. Have you ever seen any of those Ma Barker movies with uh, Shelley Winters? No, but I totally should. They're Roger Corman movies where they're mobsters and it's a family and she's the she's the mom and she's the head mobster. Roger, you check those out. Roger Corman sold. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, I I I think that you know some cliches are kind of fun to see them, and I think um, I don't know. I think maybe it's time to stop making aliens movies, or if you're going to make them, you know, reboot them completely. 
But I don't know. I guess I'm not somebody who I don't want to. I am a mess of contradictions. I'm just going to say that right off the bat that on one hand, I don't want them to make reboots because most of the time they're not well made. But on the other hand, I don't get angry at them rebooting Spider-Man again because everyone's favorite version of Spider-Man that was their first version was a reboot, too. It's not like we're all watching movies about the electric company, Spider-Man. Right. <laughs> right. It's like we're forcing that continuity, and we're still having scenes where he jumps into a pose, and then the reverse shot is somebody throwing a net on the villain. Right. <laughs> as fun as that would be. But, yeah, I, I don't know. There's a lot of fun stuff. And I think that, in the end, it's, it's kind of uh, Aliens is really about a group of regular people thrown into a crazy situation by a bunch of people who don't care about human life and having to survive in the face of that and overcome that sort of that sort of danger, not just from this monster, but also the people that push them into the path of that monster and not becoming assholes themselves. And I think, like you said, it's it's kind of like with Jaws. Chief Brody, just like Ripley, overcame his fear and triumphs in the end. We don't need to keep pushing him in the way of the shark. And it doesn't make the first one better to keep doing that. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, you think about the idea that if, if the, if, I mean, presumably Blancamp is writing the, the script, he's not just directing it, but I mean, I would think the best move would be to really hit up the idea of, again, sort of being pushed by a corporation into these risks, because what could not be more relevant now of the idea of, I mean, who is a bigger, who is a bigger villain in our culture than these mass corporations? I guess bankers would be Wall Street guys, but I mean, uh, to me, that's an that would be incredibly relevant storyline to continue on. Would be that it's it's the company that's that's pushing you into this thing. It's not Ripley isn't dealing with the aliens again because she's destined because you know this is some sort of fate. No, it's because she just found herself stuck in this horrible situation and now she can't get out of it because of different situations. Not not because uh, God is. Uh, directing this it's it's because of greed you know what what could be more relevant than than that topic so yeah it's that destiny is also really overused in a lot of these movies too this idea that you were destined from birth to be this great hero and i'm like that kind of do that with spider-man they're doing that i guess with even with ninja turtles but this idea that (laughs) i am destined from birth that i was always going to fight this thing it kind of takes away the exciting agency that I would have to decide to stand up to that thing. Yeah, right. Exactly. You're not choosing to be a hero anymore. It's you're just fated to do it. It's not as a, it's not a choice anymore. I like the idea of somebody going like Superman. It's not because he has daddy issues. It's like you know what? I have these powers, and there's a lot of unfair, dangerous things in the world. I could make people's lives decidedly less crappy. If I wore a cape and caught people when their plane broke, you know, it's, it's not that, that hard. It's like, there are certain things that there are other people who are just as powerful as I am and they're not nice. Wouldn't it be kind of nice if, if there was somebody who was powerful, but also nice that would stick up for those people who clearly can't fight like doomsday or brainiac on their own? It's the same sort of thing with Batman. The version of Batman that I like, and I think that Mark Wade had this in Kingdom Come, which is that Batman's not about vengeance. At least not the version of Batman that I like, because there's so many versions of Batman. But the version of Batman that I like is, um, it's not so much that he wants vengeance on all criminals. It's that the idea of him wanting to become the character that wasn't there to save his parents, so that what happened to him won't happen to anyone ever again. Right, he doesn't want to see anybody else die. Yeah, I, that's the, you know, Batman in the end is somebody who doesn't want to let people die. And I'm going to be this thing that would be the boogeyman to scare away 
those people that killed my parents. And if maybe if there'd been a guy dressed like a, a large r- flying rodent who'd been around then, that didn't have to happen. And I want to stop the next one. And I, I just kind of like that. I mean, in, it's a, it's a ludicrous, insane thing for a human being to do, but he exists in a universe where that's a completely rational response to crime. Yes, this is, this is a world with a detective chimp. So yeah. why not? Yeah. Why not? The, becoming a superhero is a completely normal thing to do in that universe. And right. I'm all for it. I mean, it's, yeah, I'm, I'm totally all for it. And I think that that's the hard thing of deciding when something needs to become a franchise or not. Cause it's not always an easy answer. And, I'm going to give you different answers depending on what franchise we're talking about, but I think it comes down to, are there good people making these movies who want to tell a good story, who care about the key themes of this story, and have something that they actually want to do? Is there an artistic reason for this thing to exist? Or is it somebody who just goes, wow, I want to sell more t-shirts because people clearly love this this franchise and these characters, so I'm just going to keep rattling them off over and over again, and... There's no easy answer to that, because, I mean, as big of a fan of, of superheroes I am, I have to admit that if I like, say, Spider-Man, there are entire decades' worth of comics of that character that are unreadable, and I mostly just wait those out to get to the ones that are really good. And right. I think that's true for everyone. I know you're not a big fan of the, the Peter David Aquaman. So right. you just wait through that, and eventually you'll get back to the version you like. And I think Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's a, I, just, I just skip over those and go right to the ones that I like. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I... I I think that's a big part of it. And also, if you don't like something and you don't like the direction that these things are going, don't give it money because it's just to get, it just keeps it alive and kicks it down the road. If you don't like this version of Superman, don't go see the next movie. And if enough people don't see it out of a sense of, like I, I always use the phrase brand loyalty, then eventually it'll get rebooted and maybe in a direction you like more. You know, it's, it's not like Superman or Batman are going to become so unpopular that there's ever going to be a time they don't want to make movies about them. Right. It's pretty safe. They're going to make another Batman movie. It's like 10 seconds after they make the last Batman animated show, they're making the next one. So yep. you just wait it out. You know, don't, don't force feed yourself stuff. So anyways, that's my sermon for the day. Well, considering that Superman has met the Xenomorphs in the comics, maybe oh. they can do a crossover movie. Oh my God. That's the other thing too, is they cross over <laughs> with everybody. Those aliens meet everybody. I think they've met, did they meet Terminator yet? Because I know that. I'm sure they have. <laughs> I, I don't know that for a fact, but I'm sure they have. If they've met Superman and Batman and the Predators, why not? I'm sure they've met the Terminators. I'm sure they've gone to the Planet of the Apes. Uh, I think they've probably met the Care Bears at this point. I mean, what, I would not? totally watch that. I think that would be awesome. <laughs> I'm all for a Care Bears aliens crossover. <laughs> um, Predator just uh, had announced that they were going to do a thing like Predator versus Archie. So oh, right, that's right, that's right. I, I'm actually totally on board. I want to see where they go with this. Um, the fun thing with the Archie characters, I don't think a lot of people give them credit for, is that they match all of the archetypes of a horror movie. <laughs> That's true. I mean, we all know, just looking at them, that Betty's going to be the last survivor. You have sort of the catty rich girl. You've yeah. got kind of a joker. She's the, she's the, the final girl, there's no doubt about she's it. She's the final girl, and um, I always think that... Uh, there's like a 50-50 chance that Archie will make it to the end of the movie, but he's going he's gonna to be the one who dies by pushing her into a vent or something, and then she has to have that final escape to the rooftop where she battles the slasher. But yeah, uh, Moose is dead, Veronica's dead, Jughead's dead. Yeah, they're, they're great horror tropes, all of them. So, I mean, I think of any group of teenage characters. So I'm, I'm on board with it. And Archie's been doing some interesting stuff nowadays that they're, they're taking some risks. And it might be kind of fun to see them cross over with something that is decidedly R-rated. 
Yeah, you can, you actually yeah you can you overlay the Archie characters onto the Cabin of the Woods characters quite easily when you think about it. Oh the stoner yeah. guy and the the football guy. Yeah, that's true. And Dude. then and that movie had Sigourney Weaver in it. So now we're all back to aliens. Oh man, I haven't even seen that. One. I've heard good things about Sorry. it, but yeah. but <laughs> I'm I'm all for it. I I I really like Sigourney Weaver. I think she's one of those actors that's supremely underrated and. Doesn't nearly get the credits she does. When we start listing off our favorite actors, she's in so many amazing movies, and she's great in all of them. She's great in the Ghostbusters movie. She's great in Alien. She's great in Aliens. She's easily the best female action star that's ever existed. I I oh, yeah. I love her stuff to death. She's easily up there with like uh, Linda Hamilton in the Terminator movies. Just just incredible, and uh, I we really should see more of her. That's true. Well, we'll be seeing her in Alien 5. So, And that is a perfect place to end this. Uh, except Mike and I could go on about a lot of other things, but we will stop the episode here. We had a good time. Uh, Mike, where can people find you in the world of podcasts? Well, uh, the main thing I do is a show called Radio vs. the Martians. I, we like to bill it as the McLaughlin Group for Nerds. So uh, that comes out every month. Go to RadioVersusTheMartians.com. Our show's on Stitcher. It's on iTunes and pretty much everywhere you can find podcasts. Awesome, like I said, and you can, of course, find me on AquamanTrine.net. You can find Chag at FirestormFan.com. Uh, you can shoot us an email at FirewaterPodcast at Congress.net, and the Tumblr is FirewaterPodcast.tumblr.com. Mike, thanks for coming back and doing the show. I really appreciate it. This was a lot of fun. Oh, had a blast. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and until next week, fan the flame, ride the wave, and watch for xenomorphs.
They're a bit like face huggers, aren't they? Face huggers? Oh, you know. Alien. The horror movie, Alien. There's a horror movie called Alien. That's really offensive. No wonder everyone keeps invading you.